Hey guys, welcome to the Freelancers Show. This is your panelist, Petra Manos, and today I'm actually recording a solo show for you guys. I'm going to be chatting to you about putting together really good proposals. Leveling up is important. I spend at least an hour every day learning ways I can improve my business or take a break and listen to a good book. If you're looking to level up, I recommend you start out with the 12-week year as a system to plan out where you want to end up and how to get the results you want. You can get it free by going to audibletrial.com slash code. That's audibletrial.com slash code. Now, proposals are not terribly fun things to create. Uh, I'm laughing at that because it's it's like a dichotomy, really. Whenever I have a proposal to write, on the one hand, I may be excited because I'm about to get a new client. But on the other hand, they're just, let's face it, they're just not that fun to write, are they? So, um, and also it's taking time away from your day-to-day world to write something up for someone that, you know, you need to do a bit of a sales pitch around it or not everyone's comfortable with that. And also depending on how often you do them, it might be something that you only do every now and then, and there might be a lot hanging off it. So you feel the need to do it well. So for many different reasons, people can find proposals, a bit of a thorn in their side let's say I've actually had an interesting time when it comes to proposals my initial attempts at doing proposals I would say they weren't that great I didn't have a huge strike rate on my proposals I would say that maybe one in four or so got accepted it was really bad I did not do well and looking back over that now because now I have a great strike rate I'm probably getting oh I'd say um I'd say out of the last 20 proposals, 17 or 18 of them came through as clients. So yeah, great strike rate now, bad strike rate before. And yeah, looking back from now to the past when I didn't have a good result, there's more to it than just the proposal. So I'm going to talk about the proposal, like how to do the proposal and walk you through some of my proposals, but there's more to it than that. So I don't want you to send me a message after listening to this and go, oh, but Petra, I did everything you said and I didn't win the job. Please don't do that. (laughs) There's more to it than just the proposal. Um, And I'll, I'll let you know what those things are that I think are really important. First of all, you need to have a good offer. It doesn't matter how good your proposal is. If the actual offer stinks, then the person's not going to buy. So that's the one first thing you need a good offer. Second of all, you need to actually build some kind of rapport with the person that you're sending the proposal to. So essentially, you need to feel fairly confident that they're going to buy from you irrespective of what the proposal is. And the proposal is more like the icing on the cake or the contractual agreement around it. Really, if, you've, if you're using proposals as a just part of the process and you're suggesting the proposals when you're not even sure if someone's ready to go ahead, then that's not going to work out too well for you because they can use your proposal as an out. They can basically say, oh, just send me a proposal and I'll think about it later. Now, that's actually a very non-committal response and that's going to put you into the mode of doing a lot of work and they've just got out of any kind of commitment. So don't consider the proposal to be the, the final determinant of whether someone is going ahead or not. Just consider it to be one piece in the puzzle And there's a lot of different pieces that go on earlier. 
So I actually used to have people pay for a strategy session before I wrote a proposal. And I read this in many different places all over the web. It's actually a fairly common term these days that a lot of people call it road mapping or strategy sessions. That's another common one. And the way that that works is you tell someone, look, I'm going to charge you X number of dollars. We're going to work out a strategy. I'm going to write it up. And then if you want to go ahead, then there'll be a price on that strategy session for moving ahead to the next step. Otherwise, if you don't want to go ahead, you just pay for this portion now. So that's actually a fairly common thing. Now, I have stopped doing that because what I found was when I did it that way, I was moving the sales piece and rapport earlier in the sales process into like the telephone call when I was selling someone on uh, having the strategy session. And the other reason why I don't do that anymore is that when someone has paid for the proposal, the, the feeling of trust in you as being the specialist can be deteriorated by the fact that they feel that it's transactional, that you haven't blown them away from it by anything special because they were expecting to receive a strategy from you. So you haven't exceeded their expectations. Now, since I've stopped doing the paid strategy sessions, I've actually found that my sales into long-term customers has gone up. Whereas previously when I did the paid strategy sessions, I was selling a lot of strategy sessions, but not all of them went through into being paid clients. And really, I would rather have a client paying me $1,000 a month ongoingly than have someone pay me $500 or $300 or whatever it might be for a once-off thing. So for me now, it's turned into more of a trust exercise and I'm not writing proposals for every man and their dog that comes up to me. I'm actually uh, working out if I want to work with them first and I'm only writing proposals for the people that I want to work with. So that's how that works. Uh, I, I wanted to give all those caveats, I guess, because because uh, certainly the proposal itself, there's a lot of elements to a good proposal. But if you give a good proposal to the wrong person, it's still going to fall flat. And if your strategy around how you're actually selling your service isn't quite right, then that can fall flat too. All right. So all of that said, let's move into the anatomy of a great proposal. And I've got some of mine open. Now, yours don't have to follow mine, but I'm just going to go through what I do so that you can copy the same kind of style as me if you want to because certainly these have been working so why not now I'm actually using some software called Quilla which is Q-W-I-L-R there's other software on the market that does a very similar thing and what it does is it creates essentially a document which is a website I used to do PDFs and I've stopped doing that first of all because it's a lot more cumbersome for me to have to write it up in Word and then turn it into a PDF. Second of all, when it comes to writing a document in Word, I then had to have a license for Word for team members if I wanted them to help me. That was a bit of a pain because uh, obviously Microsoft wants to charge on a per user thing. And if you work with um, freelancers or anything like that, you might not have value in giving everyone a license to your Word documents. Um, and then the, the next reason why I changed over to using software was I used to actually have, I used to use a tool called HelloSign and I updated a, well, sorry, I created a PDF version of a proposal and then when they accepted it, then we had another step of updating the, um, or uploading the PDF onto HelloSign and then the client would have to sign it in HelloSign. And that was a bit 
of a cumbersome process because it, there were just too many different steps. So I had an admin person that was doing that, but there were just separate steps for everything. Uh, whereas this tool that I'm using has the e-sign and the proposal all in one. And that is a lot better because they can read the proposal and they can sign it all at the same time. So I would strongly recommend finding some proposal software that lets you do that because having the signature process be completely separate from reading the proposal is a real pain. And it gives more reasons for someone to, I don't know, change their mind or I mean, certainly if someone's changing their mind, you shouldn't hold them to it. But just the more steps you've got, the more complicated it becomes, I guess, and that you've got more chances for things to go wrong. So, uh, so just get something that's all in one and you'll be happy with it. All right. Now, so on the um, proposals that I put together, the first thing that I have is something that's going to look nice that makes my brand look like a reasonable sized player. Now, it's actually just me and a virtual assistant, but they don't need to know that. I invested in a branding specialist to create a great logo for me. And I got a graphic designer to create the first image that goes in my proposal so that it looks really professional. Uh, the reason why I did that was I don't want someone to think that I'm a backyarder, that I'm not going to give them a really high quality service. The image that you present makes a big difference in terms of the trust that someone feels towards you. And you can only command low prices if the quality of your proposals look really shoddy. So I go for expensive looking proposals. Um, I also include the client's name as high up the top as I can. Essentially, I pull my logo and then I put their name. So I say it's a plan for their company name. And I want to personalize it as early as possible so that they don't feel like it's boilerplate. Now, something that I do after that is I like to have a bit of a section that highlights their main pain point. And it's just like a phrase or, you know, a few sentences, but it sets the scene for the proposal. And I never write a proposal without already having a fairly decent chat with the client where I'm really understanding what their pain point is. I'll ask them lots of questions to make sure that I understand that. And then I'll put that in this initial phrase. And it, it kind of just stands apart from all the rest of the proposal. I guess it's like an executive summary, but it's literally just two or three sentences and, and maybe a title. So, uh, so some examples might be, I had one person said that they were not able to be seen on Google shopping. So I made a note of that. And then in their proposal, I, I wrote down that, you know, you're not being um, seen in Google shopping. Um, and I, I was actually a member of their target audience. So I Googled them myself. They didn't come up. I put a screenshot in saying, you know, you're not showing up <laughs> basically. And then just a sentence or two saying, uh, let's work together to resolve this. And that was essentially this executive summary. It's basically, this is what the problem is, but it's okay. We're going to work together. Now, the next section that I do after that in my proposals is I, I actually write a letter to the client. So it actually starts with like, hi, and the person's name. And the reason I do that is I want it to be really personal. I used to make my proposals quite formal. And what I worked out was that my clients didn't always understand what they meant. So they were just going off the conversation that we'd had. And then when they got to the proposal, I think their eyes glazed over a bit and they just didn't really understand what the different terms were. And it 
had a very formal language. So I've completely turned that around now and I've gone for a letter and it will literally be, um, you know, thanks for the Zoom chat. It was great to talk with you, blah, blah, blah. Here's some notes. And then when I'm talking about the notes, I will dot point more of the issues or major points that they talk to me about. So I'll say something like, here's some of the notes I took and we'll discuss them, you know, later in the proposal. And it will be, okay, your current conversion rate is 0.5%, which is quite low. Your social media marketing has gone well or it's flopped or whatever it is that we talked about. It just goes down in the dot point. We keep it really simple, but these dot points, they'll concrete for the client. Oh, these are actually the things that I need to have resolved. And we want to have a situation here where they're actually reading through these dot points going, yep, 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 yep. (laughs) And they're getting to the bottom and they're like, yeah, that's exactly what we talked about. That's the situation we want there, but we're writing it in a letter. So it's kind of more friendly. It's as if we're having a conversation with the person. So from there, I actually migrate straightly into a services that would benefit you because by this stage, I should have them kind of nodding in agreement going, yes, we talked about that. Yes, yes, yes. And I want them to associate all those yeses with my services. So straight after all the dot points, I'm writing services that would benefit you and I'm ordering them by the order of priority of the service. So it's not boilerplate, it's completely ordered based on what I think is most important, but I will separate each service into its own section. Now, the reason why I'm doing that is later in the pricing, I will put a price against each service individually. And so if someone wants all of the services I described, they're going to have to pay a higher amount. But if they don't have that budget, what they can do is I'll say, well, that's okay. If your budget's not quite high enough, um, we can work on that later. But for now, I've put them in order of the highest priority. Why don't we just do items one, two, three from the services that I've outlined and we can do number four later. So putting them in priority order is really helpful in that regard because they can immediately go back and say, oh yeah, we'll do those ones. All right, so, um, so I'll outline all of the services And then when I'm doing that, what I will do is I'll try to, so I would have already had a conversation with the client at this point in time or the prospective client where we've discussed it from their point of view, but I haven't had a chance to really do any research. And sometimes showing a fact in addition to pointing out all of the pain points they have, the two can work together in a bit of a synergy, I guess we'll say because someone's both discovered the things that they're trying to move away from. You've outlined all their problems. And we've also discovered some facts through our research that we've been able to show in like a screenshot or something like that. And we weren't able to do that necessarily in our initial conversation. So here's a chance to put it in. So when I'm going through the services, if I find an interesting screenshot that shows um, a point that I'm trying to make about what the strategy might be for that client, then I'll put a screenshot in there and I'll, I'll write a note like with a little arrow pointing to the thing I'm trying to highlight so that it comes across as very personalized. I actually spend maybe two hours or so on every proposal because I do pull in these images. But what I find is that personalizing it like this makes people feel a lot of affinity towards you but because they feel that, well, if you do such a great job on the proposal, you're also going to do a great job 
when you're working together. So it actually creates a healthy start to the relationship and you end up having longer term clients when you put this effort in. So um, normally what I'll do at this point in time is I'll talk a bit about the strategy behind it from a high level and I'll make it sound really conversational and I'll also make it sound quite customized. But really this part could get used on my blog as a blog post. So it's quite high level, but what I'll do is I will add specific features of what they've told me and I'll weave that in. So I do actually customize what I write in this section for every person. I hope that makes sense. So once I've gone through all the services and put in a bit of description about how it relates to them and put in any screenshots, then uh, I've got a few sections in there that are boilerplate that pretty much everyone gets. I will customize them slightly, but they don't really need to be customized. And these sections are not so much about the individual service that you can be providing for that person, but more about your philosophy in terms of how you work. So the next section that I've got is some philosophies that I have around how we set things up. And so I've got a section on why it's important that we work with the analytics tracking and have a high quality feed because obviously I'm doing analytics and ad services. Uh, I've got a section on the reports that they'll get and I show them I've got links through to example reports and all of this is boilerplate. I don't need to create it again. I've got images of what their report's going to look like. And then I've got some philosophies around how I set up the account and um, how I set up new campaigns. So they can understand a bit about how I work. And if they share the same values as me, then they'll know that they are able to trust me to do the right thing. So I've got sentences in there like, we want your experience with us to feel organized and methodical, not full of drama and excitement in the section on initial and account setup. And it's good to have a little bit of humor in there too so that someone can feel comfortable with you because when it's dry, it doesn't really get read. But if you can make the proposal a little bit entertaining, a little bit left of center and have images in there as well, then it's going to draw people in and keep people reading. All right, so then um, I've got another section on philosophy on other things. And I'll kind of talk about how I do those things. And then once I've done that, so that's all the kind of nice things where they're like, oh yeah, you know, I feel good about working with this person. Then I'll go straight into the project scope. And previously I had gone through the services, but it was a very high level, I won't say fluffy, but it's like a really personal discussion of the services as if I was having a conversation with them. Whereas this project scope, it's down the line, this is the brass knuckles of what you're getting. And the reason why I want to have the project scope in there is the first section is quite ambiguous in terms of what they're actually getting. And there's a chance that someone could argue oh, you said you're going to do this or you said you're going to do that. And if it's ambiguous in that section when you're talking about strategy, you haven't necessarily uh, intended to do as much work as you had scoped for, but perhaps in the strategy area, you had kind of discussed a future strategy and you don't want to be in a situation where they've underpaid you. So I have a project scope section and it says exactly what is included And also importantly, what is not included? Because if you don't have both of those sections, then someone can weasel out of it by saying, oh, it just wasn't even mentioned. So so in the project scope, I've got a project scope for each major service and I'll have a what's included with all the dot points and what's not included. Now, immediately after that, I'll have a section on project timeline and capacity. 
And what I mean by that is basically when can we start? Now, I have been in a fortunate situation lately in that I actually hit capacity and I've been able to selectively bring on just the number of clients that I want to bring on and I haven't needed to rush into getting more clients than I wanted to. Now, during this time, I have had people inquire with me and I've been able to basically say yay or nay based on whether I wanted to work with that client or not. So that's a really good situation. And what I've been doing in here is in my project timeline and capacity, I've actually been pointing out that I'm at capacity. Uh, However, I'll have an opening coming in a week or two and then I'll specify the date that they can start. Now, this has actually put me in a strong position because if you've read anything about pitching or sales, one of the things that is good to do is, it, um, I was reading one recently called, I think it's called Pitch Anything by, oh, I can't remember his name exactly, Oren Kolaf or something. <laughs> I probably butchered it. I'm sorry. I'm going to have to find the book. But he he's talking, he calls them frames. And I think he calls this one the takeaway frame. And essentially what you're doing is you're saying, oh, here's all the reasons why we should work together. Here's your pain points. And you've got someone essentially going, oh, when can we start? And then in this section here, you're like, oh, but we can't start straight away because, and you're, you're making yourself seem special. It's like, I'm sorry, I've actually got a lot of clients. I'm very busy. Um, I'm not really available just yet, but this is when I am available. So what this does is it creates a couple of situations. First of all, it creates a fear that if they don't act, they won't be able to get your services and that those problems will remain unresolved. And also what it does is it puts you in a position where you're the expert and they're not really going to question anything. I mean, hopefully you are the expert anyway, but they're not really going to question what you've said if you've said that you're not available to them immediately because they understand that you actually are quite popular. You've got other clients. Um, no one wants to be your guinea pig. So if they think that you're, you're very busy with other clients, then ironically, they're going to be even more wanting to, to move ahead. So I'll put a specific date when we can work together, but I will mention the fact that I'm at capacity and, and all of that kind of thing. Yeah, and I'll just include that with the date and give them a reason why they're able to start. Hey folks, this is Charles Maxwood and I just launched my book, The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. It's up on Amazon. We self-published it. I would love your support. If you want to go check it out, you can find it there. The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. Have a good one. Max out. Now just keep in mind here, if I don't want to work with a client, I wouldn't even write a proposal for them in the first place. It does take a bit of time to create a proposal. So if there was a client that I had the conversation with and then I went, hmm, no, I'm just not really wanting to work on this project. Then what I'll do is after the conversation has ended, I'll kind of excuse myself from it in a way by saying, look, either if, if I'm not sure if I want to work with them before having the conversation, I'll let them know that I'm actually at capacity, but why don't we just have a conversation and see how we fit with each other? So I'm really non-committal. If I think that I want to work with them and then I'm conversing with them and then I realize I don't want to then what I'll do is I'll say look um, at this point in time I don't think we're going to be a good fit I'm not going to write a proposal now because my proposals have a, a deadline of only 30 days and I don't think that it's a good fit to work together right now so um And then I'll let them know what kind of things they would need to resolve to be a good fit. And I'll just say that verbally so I don't have to create any proposal. So 
The next section in my proposals is testimonials. And this is something I didn't used to have in my proposals just because I guess I didn't have enough testimonials. But testimonials are like gold and they can be really hard to extract from people as well. You can have clients that are raving about you when you talk to them and they're so full of flattery. And then you ask them to put it on paper and they go shy. Or there'll be the really frustrating one is when you say to someone, oh, please can you give me a proposal, I'm sorry, a testimonial. And they say, yeah, sure. I really loved working with you. I'm happy to do a testimonial. And then they just don't respond. And then you send them another email reminder. Oh yeah, sorry, I've just been busy. And you send them another one. Oh, I've just been busy. <laughs> it's really frustrating. So not everybody likes writing testimonials. So one thing that I have done with testimonials is if someone says something nice about me, I will try to write it down immediately. Like I'll write it down for them and I'll say, hey, can I please use that as a testimonial? And nine times out of 10, actually no one said no, but they'll just say, yeah, yeah, sure. And, uh, and you can move on from there. It's so much easier to write down their t- testimonial and ask them for permission to use it than to try to get them to think of one out of the blue. And you know, I don't think it's that they don't want to write a testimonial. I think it's just that they get a bit of like blank brain syndrome where all of a sudden they code to do a testimonial and they don't know what to say and they feel that they have to say it in a particular way and it's got to be a structured a certain way and they just get a bit tangled up so I don't think there's any malice in it but it can be just hard to get them but yes what I was saying is they're gold any testimonials you can get put them here because at this stage you've just told someone that um you don't really have capacity but you're able to take one more client on next month or whatever it may be, and you've given them a specific date, you've given them a bit of fear that they're going to miss out on working with you. And then you've just given them a whole lot of testimonials saying how great you are. So obviously you want the really upbeat ones in here. And one thing that you might want to do with the testimonials is rearrange the testimonials a bit based on the type of client that this person would be um, to try to have more similar testimonials near the top. So in my case, if I'm working with e-commerce I'll put my e-commerce ones at the top and another market that I've worked with quite a bit is hotels. So if I'm doing a proposal for a hotel, then I'll put hotel examples at the top. Um, Don't just have one testimonial either. If you can have at least three, like I was saying before, I know they're hard to get, but try to have at least three, the more the the better. If you have people's faces in there as well, it's quite engaging. People like seeing pictures of people. So do that. All right. So straight after that, I go into the pricing section of my proposal. And in the pricing, the first thing I do is I say there's an expiry. So I say this pricing quote expires within 30 days of issue. And the reason I do that is I want someone to act quickly. I don't want them to think about it forever. Essentially, I want them to get to the end of the proposal and feel strongly about, yes, we want to get started or no, I don't want to get started. And then when I ask them about it, it's going to be a clear yes or a no. The last thing I want is someone to come back six months later and say, right, we're happy to go now. And then for me to look at the proposal and go, oh, I've increased my prices. I've changed my services. I don't do that anymore. And then trying to explain to the client that we don't do that anymore. We've got to change the proposal. I just don't really want to do that. So I want someone to be pretty clear on the fact that that expires. Yeah. So I've got a few notes in my proposal about how to understand the the, um, pricing table. But that's more because I think it depends on the service that you have. So in my case, I'm, I'm doing like six monthly terms, but I'm charging them monthly 
whereas my software adds it all up and does a total at the end. So let's say I was charging them $1,000 a month, it it writes at the bottom $6,000. And I don't want someone to think that they have to pay $6,000 a month or that it's $6,000 all up front. So I just put some extra notes in there about how it works, about the fact that it's paid monthly instead of upfront and, and all of that and just got some terms in there. Then I go into the pricing. Now with the pricing, I discovered a strategy that works really well. I split all of the services up into unique bundles. So I mentioned before that I put the services in the order that I recommend them. And it's because when I get to this pricing section, I actually have a row for each service. I don't just have a single price. And the reason why I do that is I want someone to be able to say, I definitely want to work with you, Petra, but this is what my budget is and these are the services I can pick. The last thing I want to be doing is quibbling with someone over their budget. I would rather just remove services, work at their budget, have them get a great result with the budget they've got and then sell them on more services later. So um, what I'll do is I will have um, different rows for all the different services. I used to write the services out, but now I just have like a flat pricing schedule where it's essentially if you have one service, it's this much, two services, it's that much, whatever works for you. And, um, and I have like optional tick boxes where they can tick the services they want. Uh, another thing that I stumbled on that works quite well is I went from doing month to month services to doing six month terms. And that made me a bit nervous. Now it turned out that I didn't be nervous at all because I think I've only had one person ask for a month to month service. And then when I told them why I don't do that, they understood anyway, so it wasn't a big deal. But now what I do is I say to them that if they have to have a month-to-month service, there's going to be a setup fee of $1,000, but that setup fee is waived if they go with a six-month term. And so I'll explain that up front, but if for some reason they don't understand that, then I'll put two different pricing strategies in the pricing section of their proposal. And the first one will be the month-to-month one, and it will have you know initial setup, $1,000. And then the second one will be the six-month term, and it will say, waived in full with six months term and it will be really really obvious that they don't have to pay a thousand dollars if they get the six month one and so far I have not had a single person turn around and say oh I'd rather pay the setup fee and just work with you month to month everyone has said oh no let's go with the six months and then they, they get that setup fee waived I recommend doing something like that because if you have a solid time in place that you're going to be working with someone over, you can easily recoup the costs of doing this proposal just because you've got a longer engagement and a longer engagement means more revenue for you. When you have short engagements, you're constantly in the sales mode. You're more likely to sound desperate. You're less likely to get good revenue and you end up in this downward spiral. So yeah, just go for longer terms and so you're going to waive the, the setup cost. All right. So yeah, my software just basically they tick the things they want and it all adds it up. And then basically at the end, it's more of a, just a wind up thing after that. So I, again, just reiterate why it's nice to work with me and, you know, some of the strengths that we've got and why they might find that enjoyable or, you know, kind of wind up. And then straight after that, I've got the terms and conditions. So it literally says, ready to go. Please select your service options read the agreement below and then click the accept button to get started. Now, um, my software, what you can then do is you can put a service agreement directly underneath it. It's got all the legal terms and conditions that I got from my lawyer. 
Um, I've put it all out into the into the proposal. It's all just boilerplate, so I don't have to create it each time. And then right at the very, very bottom, there's an accept button. So if someone is happy with the terms, they can just click accept and it e-signs. And um, it sends us a PDF that has like the timestamp and, and all of that. All right, so that's that's my proposals in a nutshell. And like I said, I've been finding these to be really, really effective. I'm so glad that I changed my process because in the past, I remember one, I had this person that I did a strategy session with them and then I wrote up a proposal and it wasn't this way. It was like a totally different format and he didn't understand the terminology that I was using. And then his marketing strategist got involved and read it and said oh I think I could write this few better so then he helped me to rewrite the proposal took hours and then we sent it back through to the client and then he's like well now he had all of these different questions because I'd put too much detail in the proposal it was very very detailed on the technical things we were putting in but we weren't really focused on the pain points or the overview of the strategy it was more technical things And it was like hen's teeth trying to sell the proposal at that point, because even though we'd had good rapport during the initial conversation, by the time that you're going back, forward, back, forward, back, forward with a proposal, it starts to become very tedious and dry and you're not really having fun anymore. Whereas if you come straight out of a conversation, you've got the proposal, they've read it and they're really happy. That's the time that you want them to, to get started. It ended up being so much time that I put into writing that proposal. I, I don't feel like I got my money's worth in the end when the client did actually sign up with the service just because of the amount of time it took for me to write the proposal. And yeah, I've got other situations like that that occurred too. So I'd say that for a general rule of thumb, try not to go too technical in your proposals. Always go for terms that are going to be easily understood by the client and go for their pain points it ultimately it comes down to they need to get a they have to have a business reason to buy from you so well when you're doing b2b anyway there's got to be a business case for it and the business case pretty much always comes down to either you're going to save money or you're going to make money doesn't really matter what you're doing you're either going to do one of those two things so you need to be pretty clear on how what you're doing for them is going to solve those issues and not so much the technical things that you're going to do. All right. Well, I think I've discussed this topic to death. And if you've got any other questions on proposals, feel free to send them through. But yeah, I can't think of anything else to say right now. A couple of years ago, I put out a survey asking people what topics they wanted us to cover on devchat.tv. And I got two overwhelming responses. One was from the JavaScript community. They wanted a React show. And the other one was from the Ruby community and they wanted an Elixir show. So we started both. The React show though is React Roundup. And every week we bring in people from the React community and we have conversations with them about React, about the community, about open source, about what goes into React, how to build React apps and what's going on and changing in the React community. So if you're looking to keep current on the current React ecosystem and what's going on in React, you definitely need to be checking out React Roundup. You can find it at reactroundup.com. So I think we'll move on to the picks. Since it's just me here by myself, I can just move straight into it. Now, um, just a, a note as well before I move into picks, do please follow us on social media. So we're on Twitter, 
you can follow us on Twitter. Um, feel free to subscribe so you can go into iTunes, subscribe. I'm going tongue-tied, but you can subscribe there or on whatever you are using for your podcast. You can also listen to podcasts on the website itself. So please subscribe in any of those locations and that way you can get our other podcasts in the future. All right. Well, now I mentioned that Pitch Anything book. I will include a link to that in the show notes. But the thing that I was going to have for my pick this week is I actually just purchased my son a new microscope that hasn't arrived yet. So I'm not going to pick the microscope because I want to see it. I'm really looking forward to getting it. It comes with a big LED screen on the front so that he can show the screen to people and it lets you take a photograph. It's got like a five megapixel camera in it so that he can take a picture of what he's seeing and show it to people as well. But the thing that arrived today was actually, um, in addition to the microscope, I got him some biological specimens that were pre-put onto slides. I didn't know what the correct term is for that. And it had never really occurred to me before that you could buy these things. I mean, I guess it makes sense that you could, but it wasn't something that I'd ever been in the market for. So then when I bought the microscope, Amazon said, hey, people that bought this microscope also bought this stuff. So I went through and it's really cool. It has, it's, it comes in a little box and it has a hundred different slides. The brand is called Max Lapter. But there were other brands as well. It, it comes with 100 different slides and each slide is numbered. And then inside the box, it has a little description of what is on that slide. And I really like the idea of it because um, my son's only six. He's turning seven for his birthday. He's probably not at the point yet where he can accurately make little slices of things in order to put them on a slide. And getting these specimens, I think it's going to be really fun for him. And they weren't really that expensive. So someone's gone to the effort of putting all of these specimens onto slides, but they, they weren't very expensive at all. Yeah, so that's what I recommend for my pick this week. If you have a little scientist in your family, then grab them some biological specimen slides. <laughs> Alrighty. Well, we've covered off the, the show today. I've gone through my picks and there's not really anything else for me to chat to you about today. So I hope that you are having a wonderful wonderful day thanks for listening and i will catch you next time bandwidth for this segment is provided by cashfly the world's fastest cdn deliver your content fast with cashfly visit c-a-c-h-e-f-l-y.com to learn more